Welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York that believes wherever you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's sermon. I got so mesmerized by Alicia's uh, wonderful announcements that I forgot to turn the mic on. Um, Well, welcome to Hope Brooklyn. If it's your first time here, we want to especially welcome you. Um, Excited to kind of share about um, and continue the series that Russell started off last week on tables. Um, And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Bryant. I am one of the pastors here at Hope Brooklyn, and I'm one of the people that have the great privilege and honor to work on the tables. Um, And if you're wondering what the tables are, um, it's just our form of creating smaller communities um, throughout Brooklyn and the city um, throughout the the weeks. Um, Because we understand that Sunday gatherings, uh, it's not enough time to create intimate fellowship. It's not enough time to really have deep conversations and get to kind of know more people in our neighborhoods. Uh, And so we have something called tables that's going to be kicking off on our fall kickoff. Um, A lot of plugins there, but... Um, it's going to be happening for those who want to sign up uh, on the fall kickoff. You can sign up um, to be a member, but um, we're going to try to convince you to be a host um, because, and I know hosting seems like a very big responsibility, um, but hopefully, hopefully um, that God is stirring something in our hearts to consider or even think about um, being one of the individuals to host one of these table gatherings um, throughout Brooklyn and the city. And um, today... Uh, we're going to start kind of working out a lot of the values that we're going to see in our tables because um, whenever we talk about small groups, if you've ever been part of a church setting, and if you have not, I'll just give you some insight, um, there's always this back and forth of small groups, right? Um, And every small group in a church um, has different values, different principles, it it looks differently, it's shaped differently, and so we kind of wanted to share what's been on our heart as a Hope Brooklyn community and what we want to see lived out in our tables. And so today, I'm going to be talking about celebration um, and why celebration is going to be one of the key values of what we do when we gather together throughout the week. Um, And so I titled my sermon today, Morning into Dancing, and I'm going to be talking about this um, connection between grief and celebration. Um, Before we start, if you could just pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this wonderful Sunday morning and the Sunday gathering. Um, I pray that your presence may just dwell amongst us, that you may speak to us, that you may really reveal to us your heart of joy and peace, that even in the midst of brokenness and tragedies, that there is something to celebrate, that there is some sort of hope that we can hold on to and to be able to live it out as a form of worship to you. So Father, help us today, be with us, and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I wanted to kind of start off with two questions um, for us to kind of just think about as we start. Um, The first one is, how were we taught to celebrate? Uh, Whether that's in our family settings, um, within our friends, and our communities, our neighborhoods, or just by yourself, how were we taught to celebrate? And secondly, how were we taught to grieve? Because I, I feel like every person you encounter celebrates in a different way. Um, I feel like every person we, you encounter, we grieve in a different way. And for some of us, none of this was taught. <laughs> um, I know, I know I've met friends whose families, they celebrate everything and anything, right? It's a feast going on 24-7. Um, I used to live in Flushing, and in my neighborhood, um, there was always a party going on. 
my neighbors had music blasting till 3 a.m. There was barbecue, there was just hordes of people gathering together. And I, I always wondered, what is there to celebrate about every night? <laughs> every week, it was a party happening next door. And in the beginning, it got on my nerves. And actually, in the end, it was still on my nerves. But I was so confused. I'm like, how many, things, how many good things can happen in your life that you're just partying all week long? <laughs> so some people, you know, we were taught to celebrate in, in that kind of manner. Some of us, we were taught to celebrate privately, um, just dancing for joy in our room. I always thought that that was weird. Um, I don't do it, so that's why I think it's weird. But if you do... That's fine. Um, and, you know, we're, we're taught to celebrate over food, over music, over friendships. So how are we taught to celebrate? And then how are we taught to grieve? How are we taught to deal with the emotions of loss and tragedy and brokenness and failure? Um, for some of us here, maybe we were never taught how to do any of these things. Maybe we were taught to just suppress all forms of emotions, right? Don't make a scene, <laughs> Do not celebrate out loud, right? Do not grieve and show weakness. Do not show that you are sad. Be strong in those moments. And so every single one of us, we're a collection of, of figuring out how to celebrate and grieve through life. And it's ironic that I'm preaching on celebration and teaching on celebration because A, um, I don't really celebrate. <laughs> I was taught to just um, always look for improvement. Um, so people that have worked with me um, in churches before and in leadership teams, um, it was a pretty intense scene because whenever we had a successful event, when something went well, um, we, immediately afterwards, my mindset is, let's evaluate how we can we be better for the next time. I was never really taught to celebrate the moments and to cherish those moments because I always, I was taught and I believe that there's always something better, that we can do better. And so celebration was a very rare thing for me. Um, and also grieving was a, was a very odd thing for me because I was taught don't show weakness. If you're sad, try to overcome it somehow. Um, and also I, I, because I grew up in the church, Grieving was somewhat not allowed because, you know, as Christians, we should just be happy all the time because Jesus is good. <laughs> we, should, we should be celebrating all the time. Like, worship should be good. So grieving, so this was a very odd combination for me. And for some of us, it might jump to extremes. Maybe we were just taught only to celebrate. And so, therefore, we just got to assume that life is good and joyful all the time. Um, I don't know if you have any one of those friends in your life where just somehow they're always optimistic. They're always like forward thinking, positive thinking, good energy, right? Nothing can bring them down. And I'm like, I don't understand how you can live your life that way, right? I just, I'm the, I'm the complete opposite. I'm the other extreme. I just think everything's a tragedy. <laughs> I feel I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cynic, right? Whenever I see a good deed, I'm like, why would you do that? Right? Like, I'm, I'm that's the type of personality I am. Um, and so maybe we're, there's, a, there's a large spectrum, but I, I strongly believe that these two emotions and these two ways of expressing ourselves, they're tethered together. Um, biblically, we're going to look at it as well, but also in our life, like, we need to understand that grief and celebration do not need to be separate. 
that there's a space for both emotions. There's a, there's a space for joy and there's a space for grief to coexist together. And a lot of times we think that in order, in order for us to celebrate, it needs to be a space that is void of grief, right? Like don't be that person that comes in and brings down the mood, right? Don't be the one that comes in and just, just makes this dark space when we're trying to party and when we're trying to celebrate. And I'm going to be honest, I've only been in Hope Brooklyn for about a year. Um, I mean, we haven't been around that long, but I've only been in Hope Brooklyn for a year, and I've never been part of a church community that parties so much. Um, if you're new here, um, it, it's, it's going to be a weird, uh, weird ride for you. <laughs> um, a couple of months ago, you know, they hired a DJ and had a dance party up in the school cafeteria in broad daylight. Um, I'm the, type of the per- I'm the type of person that finds a very space safe in the corner, safe space in the corner, and just, I just observe. <laughs> I get deep anxiety when people try to convince me to dance, all right? But um, I've never been in scenes where we danced so much, ate so much, and partied so much. Um, so, but at the same time, there's also a space for us here to grieve. Um, and one of the passages in John chapter 11 um, and I didn't put the full passage up, but in John chapter 11, 35, you will find the shortest verse in the Bible. So if you want to be proud and leaving here today and say, I memorized the Bible verse, here it is. Jesus wept. That's it. And for me, this passage in John 11 is so profound and so deep because, yes, theologically, I know that Jesus was fully man and fully God. But it's in this passage in John chapter 11 that I get to experience the human agony of Jesus. Because in chapter 11, he has a dear friend Lazarus who is sick. He's, un, he's not well. And Jesus acknowledges that and he's saddened by the fact that Lazarus is not well. And in the beginning of the chapter, he says, he will be healed. He has this confidence that Lazarus will be healed. And he proclaims it and he tells his disciples, he tells his sister, Lazarus will be healed. And then Jesus goes off to do ministry while Lazarus is sick. But while he's off doing ministry, he finds out that Lazarus has died. And while he's doing ministry, his disciples are trying to figure out what's going on. And then he tells his disciples, Lazarus has fell, he has fallen asleep. He tells his disciples he has fallen asleep and we must go back. And there's actually this weird part in, the, in, chap, in chapter 11 that talks about how the disciples thought Lazarus was just literally sleeping. And Jesus had to explain, no, it's a, it's a permanent slumber. So he goes back to la- the home of Lazarus and Mary. And, it's, and the sister Mary tells Jesus, you weren't around. If you were around, you could have healed him. If you were around, my brother wouldn't be dead. And then Jesus tells her, he'll come back alive. See, Lazarus at this point has been buried in the tomb for four days. And Jesus proclaims he'll come out of that tomb alive. But interesting enough, once it gets to chapter 11, verse 35, he begins to weep over the death of Lazarus. And I find that so confusing because Jesus knows what he is capable of. He knows he's the son of God. He knows that he has the power to raise the dead from life. He has the power to resurrect. And he even proclaimed it. He has foretold Mary and the followers he's going to come back alive. But there's a moment that Jesus is overtaken 
by grief, and he begins to weep. You know, I've been part of a lot of funerals in, in, in my former church, um, funerals of, um, you know, former youth group high school students that I pastored, their parents passing away, grandparents passing away, um, friends, friends passing away. And usually most services go, do not be sad because he or she is in heaven. Your parent is in heaven. They're with God now. We can celebrate. And I'm like, wait, 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 but where is this moment to grieve over the loss? Where is this moment to weep? Because in that moment, things don't make sense. Even if you have the most mature, strong faith in Christ and in the power of the resurrection, there's a moment where we need to grieve. Even Jesus wept. And one of the best um, examples I can give of this is, I don't know if any of you grew up reading Calvin and Hobbes. Um, yeah, if you haven't, it is, I thought it was a childish comic series. It is morbid. <laughs> There's a lot of deep, profound truth that comes out of this little child who has an imaginary tiger doll, right? Calvin is this little boy, and Hobbes is, this is a stuffed animal that in the comics comes alive, right? And it's his, it's his best friend. And there's, a, there's one part in Calvin and Hobbes, and I wish I had the article, um, the, the comic strip up, but it was too small to see. But Calvin finds a raccoon, um, and he convinces his dad, let's take care of this raccoon because it's lost and alone and sick. And so they take care of the raccoon, and then once Calvin comes back to ask his dad to check up on the raccoon, his dad tells Calvin the raccoon has died. And then Calvin... In, all, in old comic fashion, just begins to cry and weep uncontrollably. And his father's trying to console him and say, it's okay. Like, at least the raccoon had a safe place, a safe and warm place to die. It was loved, it was fed before it died. And in this last scene, Calvin says this one line. He says, I know. I'm crying because out here he's gone, but he's not gone inside me. This kid has the emotional maturity <laughs> of more than 95% of adults I know, including myself. But he's not gone inside me. And this is why we weep. This is why we grieve. There's this, there's this kind of comfort that Calvin has in this moment. He says, I know. I know that he was taken care of. I know that he's loved. And I know also as New Yorkers, it's hard to sympathize with raccoons. All right, <laughs> but I guess he wasn't a New Yorker, but he says, I know, I know he was comforted. I know he felt loved. I know he was fed and he was in a warm place, but there's a loss inside of me. And because of that, I weep. Because of that, I'm sad. See, for us to truly understand the joys of celebration, we actually need to know and own the tragedies of loss. To be able to celebrate with that exuberant, like just untainted joy, there has to be a part of us that knows how to weep. We need to know how to grieve. And for me, I've always been the person that has been taught, you need to be strong. You need to be the one that keeps it together. 
as being the older sibling in the family, I had to be the one that always had a cool head. As someone that was leading a ministry, I couldn't be the one that was always freaking out and being overwhelmed by emotions, or so I was told. And so it, it was hard for me to grasp this idea and this concept of grieving. And it's, to be candid and honest, it's been very difficult to prepare a message on celebration this past month. Um, this past month, I lost a, a friend that was very dear to me. Um, I attended his funeral a couple of weeks ago, um, and he was a 58-year-old Italian man. And I know it's kind of weird for, you know, like a third-year-old Korean to be close friends with a 58-year-old Italian man, but in you know, New York City, anything can happen. Um, <laughs> and he was a former church member. He was a church member that, you know, I, in a church that I grew up in, and he was the official chef of a church the size of 2,000. Um, he would make pizza every Sunday. He would host events, but most importantly, he was a dear friend to myself and to my wife, Christy. Um, he catered for our engagement party. Um, I tried to convince him to take payments, but he just dropped off the food and ran. Um, he catered for our wedding, um, and he, just, he was just someone that we love and we just shared life with. Um, but unfortunately, a couple of weeks ago, I woke up to the news that he passed away suddenly. There was no history of, of, of health problems. He just... He had a heart attack and passed away. And for a while, I didn't know how to process that because I couldn't understand grief. I couldn't understand tragedy and loss like that. And I remember clearly, because it was not that long ago, but also this, the emotional impact of being at his funeral, of people celebrating his life and the person that he was. And I can totally relate to Calvin. Because I know that as, as, as he was here on earth, he gave his life and committed his life to Jesus and to entering into this relationship with him, believing that Jesus was his redeemer and salvation. And so in my heart and truth, I know that he is, he is in paradise, that he's in heaven, that there's no suffering, no pain, no, no more loss, but just eternal joy. And as I'm sitting in this church sanctuary at his funeral, I know that truth, but I couldn't, be help, I couldn't help but to be overwhelmed by grief. But over time, over the past few days and weeks, um, there's been this comfort, and I believe that it's, it's the comfort of God reminding me how to honor his life, how to live and love well as he did. And the celebration that one day I'm going to see him. Now, one day, we're going to be partying. We're going to be feasting. We're going to be filled with joy with the big man upstairs. But I know in this time that he's gone, but he's not gone inside my heart. And see, all throughout Scripture, there are moments of joy and celebration, but there's a tremendous grief that occurs. See, when Jesus was crucified, when he was taken persecuted, crucified, killed. And on that Good Friday that we claim Good Friday where he was, when he hung on the cross, there was deep grief that came across his family, his friends, his followers. And if you've ever been part of the church, 
Easter is always the big church celebration, right? The Resurrection Sunday, where we celebrate that Jesus came out of that tomb and he was alive, and we could testify that he is truly God. And because of that resurrection that we get to have, in, and we get to inherit that resurrection as well. That death is not final for, here, for us here on earth. But you know what, what day that we always ignore? There's Good Friday, and we mourn the death of Jesus. But I could only imagine what was going through the heart and mind, minds of his disciples on that Saturday before the resurrection on Sunday. There was grief. There was loss. His mother wept. His friends felt, his friends abandoned him. It was a dark, dark day. But see, the power of the gospel and the power of the faith that we have in Jesus is this, that Sunday will always come. That in that moment of grief, Jesus comes in and grants a moment of celebration, a reason to be victorious, a reason to have joy. I can only imagine that scene when they went to the tomb and it was empty and in all the things that Jesus testified about in his life here on earth of his declaration of who he was claiming to be is now true. That he was and is the son of the living God. That he is not just human in nature, but he is God and he has the power to bring the dead to life. See, Lazarus was a small sampling of what was to come. Because following John eleven thirty five, 35, as Jesus wept, he called Lazarus out of the tomb and came back to life. And I know a lot of us, we look at stories like this and we think about things like the resurrection and we can't help but to feel skeptical. I'm there with you. It goes from Jesus weeping, he's, he's human, he's just like any one of us, to calling a man out of a tomb and he came back to life. And I go, that was a big jump. <laughs> but I think for us to really grab hold of celebration and grief is to grab hold of what Jesus claims to be. That he's not just fully man, but he's fully God. And in order for us to understand true celebration, a deeper, more profound celebration, not the type of celebration where we just try to numb and forget about the pains of this world, not to just celebrate moments so that we can, you know, just be joyful for a short time and period, but then come back to the reality of this world and the reality of our life. But when we look in the passages of Luke, there are three stories that Jesus shares in Luke 15. And it's the three parables of the lost. It's the parables of the lost sheep, of the lost coin, and the lost son. And in these parables, we see something very unique that people in the Bible celebrated. And so we'll look at the first uh, passage in Luke 15, 5 to 6. This is the story where the shepherd has a hundred sheep. One goes astray. He goes after it. He leaves the 99 to look for the one. And as he finds the one, he brings the sheep back. And it says this in 15, 5, and 6. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. 
I have found my lost sheep. It's weird that he has to call friends and neighbors together to celebrate with him in his joy. And so I read this and I assume that my neighbors who party till 3 a.m. every night was celebrating a lost sheep coming home, calling the entire neighborhood, throwing a fiesta. And in Luke 15, 9, now it's a parable of the lost coin. A woman has 10 coins and she loses one and she turns the house upside down looking for that one coin. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. I'm thinking a sheep I could understand, but if my neighbor woke me up because they found a dollar that they lost, I'm gonna be pretty upset, <laughs> right? But this, and, and the coin, it was like, oh, maybe back then the coin was worth a lot. Maybe at most they say it was like a one day's wage. She wakes up the whole town, <laughs> neighbors and friends, come rejoice with me. So we're seeing a thread, common thread here. And in Luke 15, 20 to 24, this is probably one of the most more prominent ones. It's the story of the lost son, where the parable of a father has two sons, an older and younger one. And the younger one pretty much tells his father, give me my share of the inheritance and let me go live my life. I don't want to live under your reins. I don't want to live under your house. I want to go do my own thing. And so he takes this inheritance, which back then was only given to the son after the father's death. And so he pretty much tells his father, I wish you were dead. Give me my share. Let me go live my life. And that's what he does. He goes into the city and he squanders, he says he squanders all the money and now he's dirt broke. And he is now feeding pigs for a living. And as he's feeding the pigs, he realizes these pigs are eating better than me. I don't know how many pet owners you have, are, are here, but I don't think you ever look at your pets and go, man, that meal looks so much better than what I'm eating. I don't know, maybe in New York City, uh, cost of living, that might be the case. But he looks at it and says, you know what, I'm going to go back home. And he prepares a whole speech for his father. He says, I have sinned against heaven and against you, right? He has the whole speech prepared. But it says in the story in Luke 15 that when the father saw him coming at a distance, he just began to run. He began to run towards his son. And in that culture at that time, it was an absolute shameful thing for a father to lose his emotions like that. It was a shameful thing for him in his robe because he was a wealthy man in his sandals to run after his son, but he didn't care. His lost son has come home. And in 15, 20 to 24, it says, but the father said to his servants, right? The son tried to give his speech and the father's like, no, 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 no. He stops his son and says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So he began to celebrate. You see, there's something that happens in the gospel that's very common. There is tragedy and loss, and then it follows with celebration. There's a loss of a brother, of a friend in Lazarus. But then there was resurrection and then celebration. There was a lost sheep, lost coin, and then it was found. And then there was celebration. There was a lost son 
came coming back home, and then immediately following that was a celebration. And I think for us to understand the unbridled joy of celebration, we need to know loss. We, we need to know what it means to lose something and to have a comeback. For some of us, it could be a lost childhood. Some of us, it can be a loss of a friend or relationship. Some of us, could be, it could be a loss of a home. But there's this underlying promise in the gospel that there will be restoration, that there will be healing, there will be a resurrection, and that gives us cause to celebrate. And I know a lot of times when we look at the events and things that are occurring around the world, it seems almost impossible to celebrate. When we go through the daily grinds of living, of work, of just trying to make, make a living and make, make, it like, just make it alive, make it through the day without losing our minds, just being tired and weary, it's hard to take a pause and a moment to celebrate. We'd rather just do something that will just numb our minds to make us forget about our problems. But I challenge us today to find a cause and a reason to celebrate and to be intentional about celebrating. Because I believe celebration brings about a couple of things. The first one, celebration is an expression of thankfulness. Celebration is that when we feel like we don't even have much, when we, the little that we have, and we feel like, you know, compared to everybody else, I'm poor. Whether it's in a financial situation, whether it's in an emotional, relational equity, we feel like we don't have enough, and we always feel at a loss. But what celebration does is that we begin to become thankful for the things that we've been provided, however little that may be. Celebration is also a declaration that God is still good in the midst of tragedy. Because here's the one nature about God, and I've been dealing, I've, I've been wrestling with this so much this past month. Um, if you had an insight to my prayers, it is probably the most bizarre thing um, this past month. Because there's moments where like, I'm worshiping and I'm like, I love you, God. You're so good. You're so faithful. And then there's moments where I'm just angry over the loss of a friend. Asking why. Why couldn't we have one last meal together? God, like, he was, like, even going around the whole rounds, like, he was a good man. <laughs> You know, why did he have to go tragically like that? It was, it's just been a bizarre thing going back and forth with God. But the one thing I need to know and hold on to is that even in the midst of tragedy, it does not change the nature of who he is. God's nature and his characteristics do not change because of our circumstances. It's his character that brings joy into our circumstances. And when we begin to celebrate, whether it's through the midst of Sunday gatherings like this where we worship, whether it's through expressions of just thankfulness, it's saying, God, there's so much brokenness that is happening around me. There's so much tragedy and so much sadness, but you're still good. It's this, it's this constant reminder that God does not change and that he's still in control. See, the good news that Jesus has resurrected 
It's this ironic thing because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good news. It's a gospel that is found that in the grave, in the death of Jesus, in the tomb, there lies our reason to celebrate. That on his brutal death on the cross, of the, all the torture and the pain that he endured, that as we were, if we were to look at that scene and to think back on what that could look like, on the brutality of how he died, for some reason, ironically, there's, there's joy that can be found in that. That he has endured all of our suffering. That he is familiar to our pain and to our grieving. That we have reason to celebrate. That on, by, through his death and by his resurrection from that tomb and from the grave, we as believers can inherit a tremendous wealth of joy. That if we believe in him and if we enter into relationship with him, we find freedom. That there's liberation from our anxieties, from our loneliness. That there's a peace that Apostle Paul talks about in one of his letters in Philippians. That there's a peace that transcends all understanding. And there's a, there's a philosopher and theologian, Pierre Chardin, and he, he says this. Joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. Joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. And see, at our tables, I don't want our tables to just be a place where everyone just smiles and puts up this, you know, this posture that everything is good, right? That we come, we eat together, and we don't want to be the one that brings bad news, right? We just want to, we want to try to force ourselves to be happy, force ourselves to celebrate, but what I do want to say is that in our tables, there is going to be a place for us to mourn. But as we mourn, we have cause to celebrate. That even in the midst of our brokenness, in the darkest places of our life where we feel like there's just no way out, we can hold on to the truth that because Jesus is alive, that there is hope. That there's a hope that is so profound, so deep, that with our logical minds, we cannot conceive it. That even Mary... Lazarus' sister was told, I'll heal him. I'll bring him back to life. She couldn't understand. She couldn't comprehend how that looked like, even though she knew who Jesus was. See, our tables are present to be able to share and celebrate the beauty and brokenness of life together at the same time. And we don't celebrate perfection. We don't just celebrate eternal joy but we celebrate the fact that in our brokenness that we can discover joy and hope. We celebrate because we are sharing in the victory of Jesus. In a hurting and broken world, we get to celebrate because Jesus is alive. And there will be a day that Jesus promises that all things will be restored. That there is a day where there will be healing for all. Emotional, physical, mental, that Jesus will turn back the clock. He'll be rid of sin that creates all this grief and brokenness. And he'll turn back the clock to the moment that God created humanity. To the moment where we were able to walk in harmony with him. In harmony with one another. Where we won't need to fight for things like compassion. Where we won't need to fight for things like justice. 
but all things will be reconciled. That is the hope for Christians. That is the hope that I have to hold on to. And a lot of people may call me, you know, naive or ignorant or that's not a very intelligent thing to say. That salvation and resurrection is a crutch for us to deal with our tragedies. But I know that there's been hope, there's been type of hope and joy that has entered into my life in the darkest of days, in the most just weak moments of my life where I've experienced just this underlying peace and joy that I know cannot be found in anything else. And so my encouragement is this. Let's celebrate together. Let's celebrate together. Let's mourn together. Let's gather at the table, share a meal, and be able to share the things that are happening in our life. Nelson Mandela says this, remember to celebrate milestones as you prepare for the road ahead. And at this time, I'm going to ask if the uh, music team can come up. Remember to celebrate milestones as you prepare for the road ahead. Um, I've been trying to get into this habit of learning to celebrate more often. Um, because like I mentioned earlier, I'm the type of person that just moves on with life. <laughs> right? Looks for, I'm always looking for things to fix. I'm the guy that if you give an idea, I'm always thinking of loopholes in that idea. <laughs> Right, how, to, how to make that idea better and stronger. I'm always a cynic in the room. Um, but one thing I've learned this past year being part of Hope Brooklyn is either I gotta celebrate or I'm gonna be just stuck in the corner of the room by myself. <laughs> and I want to celebrate because these are milestones and reminders in my life that God is still good. And I don't know if you ever experienced celebrating by yourself. It's kind of boring. <laughs> Um, there's a reason why people pay hundreds and thousands of dollars to get into a sporting arena together to watch a game that you can watch on TV, right? There's a reason that people gather together at the bars to watch it on TV because you don't want to watch it by yourself, right? There's, there's moments where we create milestones to celebrate um, in, in all things that we do in our achievements, in our success. There's things that we do to memorialize, to celebrate together. And so... My hope is this, that as fall comes around, which is in, very soon, in a month, um, that we can celebrate together throughout the year. That we get together, that you will find a community, a table, that you can mourn together and you can celebrate together. And to just claim that, man, God can still be good in the midst of tragedies. And so if you could just take a moment to pray um, together and... Um, maybe just time right now to just reflect on that, going back to that first question. How are we taught to celebrate? How are we taught to mourn? Um, it's different for all of us. And my encouragement is that we look to the words of Jesus, his teachings of understanding loss but to also celebrate when it is found. And I hope that whatever is at a loss to us today, that we can find it together, that we can find hope together, that we can re redefine joy together, that if you're feeling alone and abandoned, 
that if you feel like you're just in a dark place today and you're just overwhelmed with grief and sadness, I hope that we can discover joy together, that we can find that place of comfort and peace as a family, as a community. And so let's take a moment, and if we could just pray and reflect, how are we taught to celebrate? How are we taught to mourn? And just asking Jesus to redefine that for us, that, there, that, we, that it's acceptable for us to be in a space where we can grieve and rejoice together. If you're here today and you just feel like you're just overwhelmed, that you're overwhelmed with grief and anxiety and burdens, I ask that you may be even bold enough to pray and ask for Jesus to enter into that space in our life, to be the healer, to be the redeemer, to come, for him to come and to find you where you are, to show you his love and his grace. So if that's you today, just I encourage you to take that bold prayer. Or some of us, we may be on the other end of the spectrum where we're just, we're just taught to be happy. That we're not allowed to show moments of sadness and grief. That we have to force our way through life celebrating. I just want you to know that it's okay to take a pause. To grieve over loss. To have moments of sadness moments to weep and allowing Jesus to be in that space together with you. Father, I pray that as our community begins to grow and move forward, that you continue to create safe spaces for us to be honest with our emotions, to be honest with our brokenness, to not force celebrations and joy, but that we can have a cause and reason find hope in you, to find hope in this community together, that we can grieve and mourn over loss, that we can share what's been happening in our lives without feeling judged, without feeling embarrassed. As we sit at the table, may you just create moments of just divine encounters, moments where we can just open up with one another and to create a place of accountability of authenticity. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that all these things, that you will redeem, you will resurrect, and you will heal. That in your moments of reconciliation, that we'll find joy and hope in you, and we can celebrate together.
Because one day, Father, when we become face-to-face with you, that our hope and our desire is just to be full expressions of joy. Because there will be no more sickness. There will be no more injustice. There will be no more, there will be no more poverty of brokenness. But in your paradise, we can find perfect peace. But until then, help us to live that out. Help us to live out your kingdom here on earth with one another. So we thank you for this family. We thank you for this community. And we thank you for a space that we can call our home. So Father, we give all the honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To find out more about the mission of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday gatherings, brunch, how to financially contribute, and a whole lot more, check us out online at www.hopebrooklyn.org. Thanks to Liz Weiss at lizweiss.com for the music and to you for tuning in. See you next week.